last night, Artis? You were home by one. It never ceases to amaze me what she can do. Wow. Fanny Crosby, that was a medley of, all, of Fanny Crosby's hymns. Fanny Crosby is one of the heroes of mine. She was blind and wrote hundreds of hymns about Jesus Christ and her faith in him. Uh, amazing, amazing woman of faith. Today we're in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is what we're in. Lucky for you all, since we had a baptism today, I was forced to prepare a sermon that is shorter than normal. This is the second half of a sermon that I preached last week. We studied 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 21 last week. Uh, and last week I apologized to all the fathers in the room because this passage is talking about fathers. So while I, on Mother's Day, I only spent one week talking about mothers, Father's Day I'm spending three weeks. You got two weeks on this passage and then the actual Father's Day sermon. So again, I want to apologize. Sorry, dads. You can kill me later. Last week, as we dived into this passage, we talked about how a father is to be an example. He is to be an example in worldview. He's to be an example in action. And he's to be an example in conversation. As we were talking about that, we drew a correlation between fathers and spiritual leaders. And how spiritual leaders in a church is to be a strive to be a good example in those three areas as well because we are quote-unquote fathers, spiritual fathers to a family. Today we're going to continue this discussion of fathers and spiritual leaders and we're going to talk about that one word that no one likes, discipline. And as I was preparing this sermon, I really wondered why in the world I chose to put a baptism at this sermon. Uh, we, we just walk through the Bible is what we do at this church. Uh, we pick a book of the Bible and we study the whole thing from beginning to end. We slowly walk through it. And I normally take some time at the end of the year to plan out my sermons for the next year. So it just so happened these landed on this Sunday and the baptisms landed on this Sunday. So you're going to get a sermon about discipline on this Sunday of baptism. Let's hear what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 21, Paul says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you, but I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Oh, have you ever heard the phrase... When the cat's away, the mice will play. Anyone of you heard that phrase? Yeah, a couple people. When I was a kid, 
my parents took weekly dates, date nights. First, they would get a babysitter, but then when my older siblings got old enough to have a little bit of responsibility, they would leave my younger sister, me and my, she's older than me, but the younger of the two sisters, kind of confusing, with them. So four of us all alone in the house. Taught my older siblings responsibility, taught my, my sister and I who were younger how to get away with things. And one day, my parents were going out for the date night, and we were all gathered at the window, waving to them. And then for some reason, right when they got near their car, they heard this yell from their youngest son. I won't name names. And the yell was, let's party! <laughs> they immediately turned around and came back, and I'm not going to tell the rest of the story. <laughs> there were certain Corinthians that thought they could do whatever they wanted to do because Paul wasn't going to come back. And Paul, in no uncertain terms in this passage, says, yes, I'm a coming back. And he asks them a strange question because he's coming back. He says in verse 21, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? I read that and I say, I want the love and gentle spirit. The Corinthians know exactly what Paul is asking because the Corinthians are in a Roman society. They're not in a Greek society. They're in a Roman society. And this is important because in a Roman society, the father of the household and the father of the nation, the emperor, anyone who had this father role were expected to have two responsibilities in their family, whether family of their home or family of the nation or anything in between. In, in between. They were expected to correct the communities for which they were responsible for as well as to seek their welfare. And in Roman society, both of those responsibilities the responsibilities of provision and the responsibilities of correction were falling under love. The emperor was considered loving when he corrected and loving when he provided. And the father of the home was considered loving when he corrected and loving when he provided. Paul is asking, in which of these two, two ways do you want me to come as your father? I don't want to confront you, Corinthians, but my love for you is not based upon my mood, but it's on your response to this letter. I will come in love, but based on your response, I will come in one of the two ways that I'm supposed to come as your father. Paul, as a father, as a spiritual leader, is ready to bring correction if he has to. Before we dive in anymore, will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we know that it is true beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I thank you that you have given it to us that we might know you, we might know how you interact with us and how we are supposed to reflect you. Thank you for wanting to be known and providing a way for us to know you, for opening up our hearts and minds to understand, not keeping yourself a mystery, but that we might know you. Father, it is such an amazing thing to be your child and to walk in the path that you've called us to walk and to say, Abba, Father, we love you so much. Today, as I'm up here presenting your word, Lord, I ask that I would decrease 
and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. In this passage, we see a father. A father brings correction for ungodliness. We see that a father brings correction for ungodliness. Paul speaks of the arrogance of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. He says, Some of you have become arrogant as if I were not coming to you. But I'll come to you very soon if the Lord is willing, and then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. The Corinthians had an exalted view of themselves. Their arrogance, their pride, fed into all the other sins that we've already talked about the Corinthians having. We talked about how they were bickering and quarreling among each other. There were divisions in the body, even though Jesus Christ has called us to be unified if we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Each person in the body thought they had perfect theology over and above the other followers of Jesus Christ. They also were consumed in their self-image, their own understanding of right and wrong, so much so that they looked at themselves and said, you know, I have truth, and I'm going to exalt my understanding of truth over and above the truth that we've received from Jesus Christ. I'm going to live my own gospel and disobey Christ's command for unity and love. This pride that they have caused them to indulge in other sins that we're going to study as we continue in Corinthians. We'll talk about their sins of incest and other sexual immorality that they actually boasted in. There were lawsuits among them. They cheated each other. There was idolatry, drunkenness, gluttony. We could go on and on and on, but the clock says I can't. Paul looked at their sins, Paul looked at their pride, and he promised to bring correction to them. The role of a spiritual leader is not just to stand in front of the church and deliver a nice message. The role of a spiritual leader is to know his congregation, to spend time with each and every one of them, to see the growth that is needed to bring them to, from where they are to be more like Christ and provide the necessary correction for that growth. There was a guy who lived a long time ago by the name of Richard Baxter. He was a pastor in Kidderminster, England in the late 1600s, and he wrote a book called The Reformed Pastor that is a great book, and he talks about having careful oversight of families. He actually had a rotation in his church, a checklist that he went through because he was just that sort of guy. And he would visit every single person in his church in their homes once every three years because it took him that long to get through this rotation. And he, his goal was to know each family spiritually and provide the necessary help for spiritual growth. That's how he did it. Every pastor does it differently if they take this role of spiritual leadership seriously. To have this goal of knowing every single person who comes, see what's indulged in, and bring correction so that good spiritual growth can happen. I do this as I interact with you on Saturday, Sunday mornings, as I interact with you in the community, as I text you throughout the months for prayer requests. Don't be freaked out, but I'm continually assessing where you all are spiritually so I can pray for you better. And as God brings wisdom to mind to gently lead you to be more like him, this task takes time. But if a spiritual leader is not doing it, the church will fall apart, and truthfully, the spiritual leader will be judged Paul urges the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 31, 
Acts 20, 28 to 31, Paul tells the elders of Ephesus, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that, know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. The author of Hebrews puts a little exclamation point by this passage of, in Ephesians. And the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, writes this. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. There's a reason why we as a church, Calvary Bible Church, are, are set up to be, to be structured with having multiple elders in our leadership because one person should not have this responsibility alone and one person cannot have this responsibility alone. It's too great to accomplish. A father brings correction for ungodliness. But that's not enough to understand about this correction. A father brings correction from sincerity. A father brings correction from sincerity. It's not just good for a father to stand up and say, this is the law, you must follow it. But the father must bring it from his own life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 19 to 20, 1 Corinthians 4, 19-20, Paul says, But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What Paul is saying is something that's very fascinating. He acknowledges that the arrogant Corinthians are saying some pretty strong stuff in their pride. Stuff that most people, if they had any semblance of reality, probably would not say. They're boasting about their intellect, they're boasting about their spirituality. They're boasting about their freedom, even though they are smart and amazing Christians, their freedom to do unspeakably bad stuff. And Paul is going to arrive, and before he says anything, he's going to watch. And he's going to look. And he's going to see if the arrogant people's actions are in line with their words. The Corinthians knew that they were talking big talk, but that if you want to borrow, borrow the cliche, their talk was not in line with their walk. You've probably interacted with people who are like this. They talk big and they talk spiritual, but they don't act the way they talk. I remember interacting with another pastor. I'm not telling you this story to boost myself up, but it's just an illustration. I remember talking with another pastor who talked very spiritual. He, he could quote scripture. He could talk about how his life was, a, was in line with Jesus Christ. And I sat next to him at a high school football game. And at that time, his talk was not in line with his talk. If you know what I mean. Religion cannot only be in words. It cannot be in a statement, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But it must also be in action. Religion, our faith, is given power as we live our faith among our family, among our community, among the church. We, we don't believe that our actions bring salvation to us. We can't, no amount of good works can bring us 
into a relationship of Jesus Christ. No amount of good works can earn our salvation. No amount of good works can lead us into eternity. Our good works, our church attendance, our baptism, our confirmation, our communion, our confession, the fact that our parents are believers, none of this brings us into a relationship of Jesus Christ. It's only by faith in his sacrifice. Paul says those who confess Jesus as Lord and believe in his heart, that God raised him from the dead, they will be saved. John says, for as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It's a choice we make to believe. Once we make it, we're saved. But once we're saved, we're called to live it. We're called to live it. Religion must be shown powerful by a changed life. Paul was going to arrive, and in the face of the Corinthians' ungodliness, he's going to back up his talk with power, with deeds that reveal their sinfulness and God's holiness. A spiritual leader must bring correction from sincerity. He must not only speak truth, but he must live it. That is why James writes in James chapter 3, verse 1, James chapter 3, verse 1, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach are going to be judged more strictly. God says, okay, you stand up and you're setting yourself up as a spiritual leader. Your life better be in line, or I'm going to judge you so much harsher than anyone else. Even though you might think their lives are more sinful, you, O oh spiritual leader, are the one who is judged. Our lives must be in line with what we say. That's why scripture places such a huge standard on who will be an elder in a church. Paul writes to Timothy about this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well, see that his children obey him, and he must do this in a manner that is worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. An elder is charged with bringing correction to the ungodliness around him. If he has not practiced correct oversight over his own life, he cannot bring oversight to others. It's very sad and demoralizing when men of God who say, thus says the Lord, are known as hypocrites. It cannot happen. I stand up in front of you all every week and hopefully you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am a sinner. There's no two ways about it. I'm a sinner daily, desperately in need of God's grace. I am not perfect. But hopefully, while you stand up here and see me, a sinner desperately in need of God's grace, you also see a man who is, understands his need of grace and who constantly repents and pursues holiness by the grace of God and the grace of Jesus Christ. I need him just as we all need him. And if I stand up here and keep sins hidden and don't confess them, I am a hypocrite. And you can't see God working in me. 
as a spiritual leader shows the power of God's grace through his own changed life, he's then able to lead others in that path of a changed life. A, pa- a father brings correction to ungodliness. A father brings correction from sincerity. Finally, a father brings correction out of love. A father brings correction out of love. We've already discussed how in this last verse, during the, in, the, in the introduction of the sermon, in verse 21, he says, how should I come to you? Should I come with discipline or should I come in love and with gentleness? We talked about how discipline and gentleness is both under love. Paul's not saying that the choice is either rod of discipline or love. The correction flows out of love. This actually is the example that God gives in his correction towards us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 to 12. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12. God says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. He disciplines the one he loves. Discipline flows out of his love. Later in Proverbs, Solomon is going to take God's example and he's going to apply it to us of humanity. In Proverbs 13, verse 24, Proverbs 13, 24, he says, Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, in preacher school, they tell you to not use too many illustrations from your own life. This morning, I already used one illustration. I hope you humor me for another one. When I was a kid, (laughs) I still am. Um, I'm kind of stubborn, and when I was a kid, I was definitely stubborn, and and my parents knew that, and they had to discipline me a lot, Um, and and sometimes I didn't get it, and they'd have to discipline me again. Uh, I, I hope you don't think badly of them. They never beat me. They never beat me. But they, they knew the wisdom of a moderately well-placed, in-control use of a plastic spoon. And they would sit me down after I did this thing that was uh, in direct disobedience to them, and it was directly in disobedience to them. I will go on record to say. And they would sit me down, and they would tell me, they would explain to me how my action was not right. They'd be very clear about that. They'd explain how my action was against the ways of God and his word. And then they would tell me what my correction would entail that time. And then they would give it. And then they would give me a hug, and they would say, now you know this hurt me more than it hurt you. And inside, I would say no. (laughs) And then they would say they loved me. And one day, I actually got up the guts to tell them what I was thinking all this time. And I looked at my mom and I said, if you loved me, you would not do this. (laughs) Wrong answer, yes. (laughs) She convinced me of her love. But then I grew up, and I realized she did that because of her love. That if she had not consistently even keeled, I have so much respect for her for here even keel, disciplined me throughout the years, I would probably be in jail today. 
That's not stated facetiously. I do believe that I would probably be in jail if she had not corrected the evilness inside of me. They loved me, therefore they disciplined me. Discipline always comes out of love. There are some people, both parents and spiritual leaders, who will bring correction out of anger or out of revenge. And that sort of discipline is against the character of God and is sin. But a father and a spiritual leader's heart should break when he sees those who love, he loves sinning against God. Because the path that they are going is going to bring them to destruction. So out of that, his heart should break and he should yearn to bring them back to the correct way because that is the way that brings blessing. Paul opens up his heart to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 to 20. Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 to 20, Paul says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Paul's love for his churches caused him spiritual and emotional pain so much so that he, he said he had this feeling of giving birth for these people, yearning for his flock to know, to love, and to reflect Jesus Christ. When the spiritual leader's heart is breaking for his people, when the father's heart is breaking for his children, then he has the correct mindset to bring correction. Because then he is removed from the picture. Even though the person might have sinned directly against him and hurt him terribly, he's doing it to bring them in line with God. Not to bring them in line with himself. He's able to show those around him the holiness of God and call them to repentance, a striving for that holiness. A father brings correction for ungodliness. A father brings correction from sincerity. A father brings correction out of love. How is this correction supposed to happen specifically in a church setting? I can't tell you today. We're going to be studying that as we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The role of a father, the role of a spiritual leader, ultimately is to show Christ through our actions. Jesus sent the perfect example when he lived on this earth. He showed what it means to live a life that reflected our Father in heaven. He showed what it means to love. He showed what it meant to stand for truth in the face of a world of hate. He showed correction of ungodliness when he looked at people and he said, go and sin no more, but always welcoming them in love. Fathers, spiritual leaders, everyone else, may our lives reflect Christ as we live in a way, as we discussed last week, in a way that shows people him, that they can imitate him through us, but shows people him as we point people to him through correction. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us poor, miserable people. I said this to you multiple times today, multiple times this week, but it is an amazing thing to be your child, to be your sheep of your pasture. Lord, it's been a great day of celebration, celebrating those who have a new life in you, reflecting on what it means to live that life in you. Lord, I ask that a celebration, the, the joy 
of following you never gets stifled in us. That we don't become people of apathy, of just waking up and saying, yep, it's another day. But every day we wake up with joy in our lives because we get to spend it with you. And teach us to have that joy and point it to others, that others might know you through us. Because you are worth everything. Thanks, Father. Amen. Well, we will close with just one more song here. So if you want to stand with me again and sing, that would be great. And don't forget, we do have fellowship meal downstairs. It takes us a few minutes to get going, but uh, you're all more than welcome to stay. We